theyeshiva.net. The opening verses of the portion of Gedoshim read, Vayidaber Adinoy al Moshe Lamer, Hashem speaks to Moshe, God speaks to Moses, this is what he says. Daber el kol adas b'nei Yisrael v'amarta aleihem k'doshim tiyu k'kadosh ani adinoy aleihechem. Speak to the entire community of the children of Israel and tell them, say to them, k'doshim tiyu, you shall be holy because I, I the Lord, I God, am holy. In the original, tell the Jewish people, Kadoshim to you, be holy, be Kadosh, be sacred. Why? Ki Kadosh Ani, because I am holy. I, God, your God, I am holy. What does it mean to be holy? What is this mitzvah? What is the nature of the commandment, Kadoshim to you, be holy? What does it mean to be holy? Rashi the most basic, fundamental biblical commentator, and many of the commentaries explain, that to be holy means to separate oneself from all forms of intimate promiscuity, of immorality that is connected to physical relations. To words of Rashiar, have a prushim min harayis u min ha'avera. Kedoshim Tiyu is an injunction on a particular type of lifestyle. A lifestyle that is refined. A lifestyle that is sacred. What does it express itself according to Rashi? In the way a person behaves when it comes to their intimate relations. To remain segregated from all forms of immodesty and promiscuity when it comes to this very powerful force in human nature. Ramban, Nachmanides, Rashi lived in the 11th century, in the 1000s in France. Ramban, Rabbeinu Moshe ben Nachmanides, lived in the 13th century in Spain. And he maintains that the mitzvah, the commandment, Kedoshim Tiyu, to be holy, is an injunction, it's a general principle against gluttony, against the person being overindulgent. Uh, it's a commandment to cultivate a life of refinement, of subtlety, of spiritual sensitivity. The famous words of Nachmanides of the Ramban is that one can follow all of the commandments, but still remain unholy. As he puts it, one can be a novel, a person can be a degenerate, a disgusting person, with the permission of Torah. Meaning a person can find loopholes and justifications, and according to the letter of the law, they're doing everything right. But there's something essentially missing. The person is grotesque. There is something repulsive and abominable, something very unholy about this person. That's what the Ramban says is Kedoshim to you. It's not a mitzvah that is specific. Do this or don't do this. It's a general principle to cultivate holiness in a person. 
The Ramban puts it and he says that after the Torah enumerates so many other mitzvahs, so many detailed mitzvahs, things that are completely forbidden, the Torah declares, be holy. Discipline yourself also in that which is permitted. Kadesh atzmecha b'muterlach. Even if something is permitted and permissible, learn how to be holy. Learn how to discipline yourself. Learn how to live in a, in a fine, in a sacred way. That's the Ramban's interpretation of Kedoshim. After the list of so many relationships that are prohibited, the Torah says, but now there's something else and that's called holiness. To give a dramatic, uh, maybe illustration of what the Ramban is saying, and I say it's a dramatic illustration, but I think it drives home the point, is the anecdote they tell about a man who was extremely wealthy and equally stingy. And his stinginess matched his wealth. And once a poor fellow came knocking on his door, and he opened the door for him, and he said, how can I help you? And he said, I haven't eaten anything in two and a half days. I am starving. I feel like I'm going to expire. Please, give me a morsel of bread. Give me something to eat. And the man says, this home is not made for people like you. You can go find food in other places. I don't feed people like you. And he said, I can't go anywhere else. I don't have any more energy. Give me from the dustbin. Give me something you threw out from the garbage. Leftovers from Shabbos in the garbage. Give me anything. The man says, that I'll give you. And he goes and he finds in the garbage some decadent, uh, old, decomposed piece of fish. And he gives it to him. And the man was so hungry that within a few seconds it was down his uh, esophagus. But the piece of fish was so horrific that uh, as he walked away, he fainted, he collapsed. So they rushed him to the hospital. And this wealthy man comes home that night and he tells his wife, you know, I have to leave. And she says, where do you have to go? And he says, uh, you know, there was a man here who I fed today. And unfortunately, he became very ill. And there's a great mitzvah of Bikr Chaylam, of visiting the sick. So I have to go visit him. Okay. So he goes to visit the next day, he tells his wife, I'm not coming home today till late. She says, why? He says, you know, the person who fell ill, unfortunately, he died. And one of the greatest mitzvahs is halvayas hames, to escort the dead on their final journey. So I really have to go to the funeral to do this mitzvah. He goes. The next day, he tells his wife, tonight is a busy night. She says, why? He says, you know, he left the family and they're sitting shiva. And one of the greatest mitzvahs is nicham avelim, to go comfort those who are in mourning. So I have to go comfort them. So he goes for a shiva call. He comes home from the shiva call and he is smiling from ear to ear. 25 years, his wife never saw him as excited, as radiant as she saw him that evening. And she says, Yankel, what's this great simcha? I mean, you're coming from a, from a tra- tragedy, a sad event. Why are you so excited? And he says, and I'll have to say this in Yiddish and then I'll translate into English. He says, how can I not be excited? How can I not be excited? See how many mitzvahs I have committed with one smelly, decadent piece of fish. Look what I have achieved. One horrific piece of fish, unedible, and I performed four of the greatest mitzvahs. Hachnasas Archim, Bikr Chaylam, Halvayas Hames, and Nechem Avelam. Hospitality for guests, Visiting the sick, escorting the dead, and comforting those who are grieving. Where do you have such an investment in life? This is obviously a dramatic illustration of somebody who truly doesn't get it.
But we have these illustrations in less dramatic ways. And that is, somebody who can say, wow, look how many mitzvahs I have done with this piece of fish, or with this check, or with whatever asset or other item they have in their life. But the person completely doesn't get it. They remain spiritually clueless. They remain divorced from the world, from a Weltanschauung of holiness, of, of sensitivity, of spirituality, of sacredness, as the remoteness of earth from heaven, if not even more remote. So the Ramban is teaching us that there is what you could say, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, but then there's something you can't say. A person could be a novel. Novel literally means disgusting, but I have a source for this, and I have a source for this, and I can reference it. But ultimately, there's something off. There's no soul, there's no heart, there's something missing. Technically, in the books, maybe you're right, but there's something missing. There's, there's, there's a conscience missing. There's an, there an ashama missing. There's a cluelessness, there's a coldness that it's very hard to articulate in words because I can't teach this by telling you to do something specific or not to do something. It's an attitude. It's a perspective. It's just that there's something missing. You know, sometimes you talk to somebody and, uh, you know, technically they're doing everything right, but there's nothing right about it. Everything is, is, is wrong. You may not be able to articulate it in terms of... Uh, the exact laws and rules on paper. But instinctively, one knows there's something off here. And the Ramban uses these sharp words, novel birishus ha With the permission of Torah, this person is still a degenerate. This person behaves in a way that is coarse, grotesque. And hence there is a commandment, k'doishim tiyu. Even in that which is permissible and technically you're allowed to do it, learn what it means to be a subtle person, a person who's infused with, with soulfulness, with godliness, with holiness. That's the Ramban's interpretation of Kedoshim Tiyu with, with a little elaboration. But what I want to focus on today is the reason that the Torah gives for this commandment. Kedoshim Tiyu, you should be holy. Why? He, because... Kadosh Ani Hashem Alekeichem. Because I am holy. Why should you be holy? Because I, God, is holy. But what type of reason is this? Because Hashem is holy, therefore I should be holy? I mean, Warren Buffett will tell me. Become a billionaire because I am a billionaire. (laughs) God bless you. You are a billionaire. But I'm not a billionaire. And Warren Buffett is no God. He's just a rich man, a very rich man. God says, I want you to be holy because I am holy. Okay, God, I know you're holy. You're very holy. But me? I'm not holy. I can't even be as holy as my wife. I can't even be as good as my wife. I've tried for years without success. Now you want me to be as holy as God? You be holy because I am holy? Am I supposed to compare myself to the divine? What is the reasoning? When you read the Medrash on the verse, 
And the Medrash, of course, represents the oral commentary that was transmitted through the generations, not in written format, but the oral tradition, which we call Torah Shabal Peh, the Torah that was given through mouth, mouth-to-mouth, generational, in the generational link of parents and children, teachers and disciples. So on Chumash, you have what's called the Chumash, which is the text, and then you have the Medrash. And the Medrash, literally from the word Adrash, which means to expound, to explain, fills in the gaps and adds interpretation and commentary and illustration. When one opens up the Medrash Rabbah on this verse, the question becomes actually stronger. In Medrash Rabbah, in the opening of Parshish Kedoshim, section 24, the Medrash says as follows, Kedoshim tiyu, you should be holy. Yachol kamoini, Talmud loimar ki kadosh ani, kedushasi lemaila mikdushaschem. The literal translation of the Medrash is this. God says, you should be holy. You might think you could be as holy as I am. You might think that you have the ability to be as holy as I am, because when I'm telling you to be holy, you might think that you could be as holy as me. So that's why the Medrash says, the verse continues, no, for I am holy. My holiness is far beyond your holiness. What is the Medrash saying? Who would imagine in their right mind, on their own, that they can be as holy as God, as sacred as Hashem, that the Torah needs to dispel this thought or this myth and say, when I say, and, and explain that when I say, Kedoshim to you, be holy. Yachel Kamayni, you think you could be as holy as me? So let me tell you, Kikadosh Ani, I am the real holy one. My holiness transcends your holiness. Who in their right mind would entertain that thought that when God says be holy, it means to be as holy as God? I need the Torah to continue and say, Kikadosh Ani, don't confuse the two. My holiness is beyond your holiness. The mirror Rosh Hashiva was Reb Chaim Shmulevich Zatzal. He was the Rosh Hashiva of the mirror in Yerushalayim. He escaped Lithuania through Shanghai and then came to uh, the land of Israel where he served as the Rosh Hashiva till his passing of the great mirror Yeshiva. And uh, he once said about this question of the Medrash that he said, he said, if somebody would have known Reb Shloimke Zviller, in Jerusalem, he would understand the question of the Medrash. <laughs> if somebody would have known Reb Shleimke, one of the great Hasidic masters, was known as Reb Shleimke's he was a very holy Jew. So he said, if somebody would have known him, then you can understand the question of the Medrash. Yachel Kamoini, you would think that you could be as holy as me, so I'm telling you, no. That was his way of understanding the Medrash. He said, sometimes you see a Jew and you can understand what the Medrash, what the Medrash means. And the Medrash brings a verse to explain what it means. And that is when Paroi appoints Yosef as the viceroy of Egypt, he says, Ani Paroi, I am Paroi. I am Paroi, but without you, without your permission, nobody should lift an arm or a leg in the land of Egypt, which means, for all practical purposes, you're the viceroy, you're the king, you're the monarch, you lead. You lead the country. But he says, Ani Paroi. And what the Pasuk means, according to many commentators, is, 
I remain the real king. I remain above you. In other words, you have all the power, but that power is ultimately given to you from me, and therefore I'm the one who is appointing you as the viceroy of Egypt. And the Medrash, interestingly, compares it to this verse as well. Kedoshim to you, but remember Kadosh Ani, like Ani Paroi. Don't think you could be as holy as me, because I ultimately remain God, and my holiness completely transcends your holiness. So, this is really what we have to understand. What is the thought process that is happening, that the Torah is trying to dispel, where when God tells you to be holy, you might really think that suddenly, suddenly you are divine. There are two ways to understand this Medrash. Very different ways. One is the literal message of the Medrash, trying to uh, explain something to people who might make an error. On one level, there is another opposite interpretation of the Medrash on a completely different level. One way of understanding the Medrash is quite literal. Very often, in a person's attempt to become holy, they will find themselves failing. There are setbacks, there are stumbling blocks, there are challenges. One day a person can experience holiness, and the other day a person can experience emotions or feelings or moods or cravings or appetites or habits, inclinations, dispositions that are unholy or sometimes antithetical to holiness. So in many ways, the Medrash is saying God is comforting the Jew and saying, Kedoshim to you, I want you to be holy. But Yachal Kamayni, do you think you're going to be as holy as I am? Talmud Kikadosh Ani. Remember that you're a human being. And as a human being, there is an expectation that we fall, that we fail, that we learn from mistakes, that we grow. We often are overtaken by confusion or uncertainty. Sometimes pain affects us. There's an unclarity, there's an immaturity. Life is about growth. So in many ways, it's a sobering, sobering and comforting instruction that the Medrash is saying, Kedoshim to you, yes, I want you to be able, but I want you to remember, Kadosh Ani, My holiness transcends yours, and therefore don't get frustrated. Don't become delusional about your holiness. Don't get frustrated over the fact that you're a human being. That is your uniqueness. Your uniqueness is that you're a human. You're mortal. Uh, you're frail. There is a person is dichotomized. A person is split. You vacillate between extremes. Some days you find yourself in an awesome and wholesome place. And other days I may find myself in a very fragmented, broken place. And I may search for that holiness in me, and it's so hard to find or attain or discover. That's part of the mitzvah of Kedoshim to you. I'm telling you to be holy because there is always a need to discover it, to learn about it, to challenge yourself and to grow in this process. So the Medrash here is addressing the fact that sometimes as people, we do not make place for the fact that part of being human is that I'm weak. That is part of the beauty of being human. My strength is not an absolute unwavering condition. There is weakness in me. 
I am mortal. I am frail physically and emotionally and spiritually. I could sometimes be overtaken by pretty dark thoughts or dark emotions. And yet, within those experiences, I have the ability to become aware of the challenge, to become aware of the dichotomy, and then to choose a life of meaning, to choose a life of value, or in this phraseology, to choose a life of Kedusha, to choose a life of, of divinity and of holiness. And uh, we know the importance of this message, especially when somebody is very young and somebody is very idealistic and sometimes people are perfectionists and sometimes people have a little tinge of OCD and sometimes people look at life as all or nothing, a success story or a failure. And that ability to be able to uh, be balanced and to be able to understand that your holiness must, uh, your, your holiness comes together with your humanness. There's a famous uh, interpretation by the Kotzke Rebbe. It says in Parshas Mishpatim, Anshe Kodesh Tiun Li. Literally, it means you should be uh, uh, men of holiness to me. It's a very interesting expression. Here it just says you should be holy. There it says, Anshe Kodesh Tiun Li. You should be human beings of holiness to me. So he said, what God is saying is, Anshe Kodesh, your holiness should be menschlich. Anshe Kodesh, it should be a human, human holiness. It should be a menschlich holiness. Which one of the meanings of that is, you're not an angel. Don't expect to be an angel. First of all, it means your holiness should be human. If, if you see people who are holy, but they're not menschlich, it's not very holy. Anshe <laughs> Kodesh. As we say in the morning, the famous interpretation, you have to be a mensch. What it also means is the uniqueness of your holiness is that it's a human holiness. It's a holiness that comes with, with the human condition, within the human condition. And part of the human condition is I make mistakes, but I learn from those mistakes. Part of the human condition is that I struggle with certain things but I learn from those struggles. I grow from those struggles. Part of the human condition is that I'm sometimes deal with toxicity that wants to take me away from my holiness. But I can appreciate it. I can understand it. I can have compassion for all the parts of my existence and my being without the need to amputate any limb, any spiritual limb, without the need to amputate any part of my existence to be holy. Human holiness means that I'm not in heaven. Things are not black and white. I'm not good or evil. I mean, black and white is good for the cookie, the black and white cookie. Even for that, it's not so healthy. But uh, over there, there is black and there's white. But w- with human life, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. There is a taruvis. There's, there's a lot of mixture. That's called avoidus habirurim. The work of life is what we call boirer, to be able to select, to be able to refine, to be able to separate. That's how the Medrash sees this verse. Kedoshim tiyu, yachal kamayni? No, kikadosh ani. Kedushasi lamaylam ekdushaschem. Your holiness is a unique holiness, a holiness that's created on earth. That is one interpretation in the Medrash. I think the more literal interpretation. But there's another interpretation that was presented by, in a very well-known work, Moirei Naim. Moirei Naim. 
which was authored by a man named Rabbi Menachem Nochum Tversky of Chernobyl. He's known as Reb Nochum Chernobyler. Chernobyl is a city in the Ukraine. In the early days of the Hasidic movement, it became very renowned because it was the seat, it was the home of one of the greatest students of the Baal Shem Tev and the Magad of Mizrich, known as Reb Nochum Chernobyler, Reb Menachem Nochum Tversky. Many of the Tverskys, today not all, but many of the Tverskys, are descendants of Reb Nochum Chernobyler, and many of the Hasidic dynasties have descended, including today, till today, from that dynasty of the Tverskys, which begins with Reb Nochum of Chernobyl. He was born in 1730, and he passed away in the year 1787. He, as I said, was one of the greatest disciples of the Baal Shem Tev and the Magad of Mizrich, who was the successor of the Baal Shem Tev. And he published one of the first works of Hasidus, of Hasidic thought. It's called Mo'er Enayim, which is the light of the eyes, or Mo'er Enayim. Reb Nachum Chernobyler presents a magnificent interpretation into this opening verse of Parshish Kedoshim and into the Medrash that we quoted above. Interestingly, he had a contemporary who was a grandson of the Baal Shem Tev, a physical grandson of the Baal Shem Tev, a man named Reb Moshe Chaim Ephraim of a city called Sedlikov. The Baal Shem Tev had a son and a daughter. The son's name was Reb Tzvi, and his daughter's name was Rebetzin Adl. And Rebetzin Adl had a son whose name was Reb Moshe Chaim Ephraim of Sedlikov. He was born in Mezhebuz, the city of his grandfather, which was in the Ukraine, and he passed away in Mezhebush on the 17th of year, 1800, and he's buried near his grandfather in Mezhebush in the Ukraine, and he authored a Hasidic work known as Degel Machane Ephraim, which literally means the flag of the camp of Ephraim, which is an expression of Chumash, the flag of the Machane Ephraim, but since his name was Reb Moshe Chaim Ephraim, he was a son of Rebetzin Adel, so he named his work Degel Machane Ephraim, and he too follows the same thought process of his contemporary, Reb Nochem Chernobyler, who was a student of the Baal Shem Tov, he was a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, but also in his book, Degel Machane Ephraim on Parches Doshim, he follows a very similar thought process. And there's other Hasidic works, Mori Veshemesh, Kedushas Levi, by some of the great masters of Levi Yitzhak of Barditchev, Reb Kleinemus Kalman Halevi Epstein, Mori Veshemesh, who also offer similar ideas and interpretations to this Pasuk, and this Medrash. And it's this interpretation that I want to uh, focus on presently, Be'ezer Hashem, for the remainder of the class. And I'm going to read in Hebrew the words of Reb Nochem Chernobyler and the Degel Machane Ephraim, and then I'm going to translate. I want to read the words because they're potent words. I don't know, not everybody will understand it, but I'll explain. The Ma'irinayim says, when the Medrash says, Yochel Kamoini, he says, we read it wrong. We read it as a question. It's not a question, it's a statement. Remember, there's no, uh, there's no nekudis and also no question marks or exclamation points or hyphens or commas. Right? These texts have no periods. So we read the Medrash, Kedoshim you, you should be holy. Yachal Kamoini, you think like me? Never, never like me. Kadesh Ani, I am holy. Says the Mariah and I, I quote, Yachal Kamoini, Binichusa. 
It's a statement. It's not a question. You could be. You should be holy. That means you could be as holy as me. And he continues. You can create worlds like I create worlds. Through your hisairus, through your arousal, through your inspiration, through what you generate, you can create worlds. Talmud Loimar, how can you say this? So the Medrash continues. Talmud Loimar, that's where the Apostle says, Ki Kadosh Ani Hashem, because I am holy. Everyone translates it. My holiness is Lamaila. What does Lamaila mean? It's above your Kedusha. Kedusha see. My Kedusha, my holiness, Lamaila, Miktushaschem. It's higher than your holiness. He says, wrong. Kedusha see Lamaila, Miktushaschem. Kedusha see Lamaila, Mashanishpa, Miktusha see Lamaila, Bailam is Elyonim. Who Miktushaschem? My holiness comes from your holiness. Kedusha see Lamaila. All the holiness above mikdushaschem, it's derived from your holiness. My holiness comes from your holiness. When you sanctify yourself first, that's where my holiness and all of the higher realities comes from. It's aroused, it's triggered, it's born from your holiness. Dagel machene Ephraim says, Yochel kamoini. Hainu, kol adam yachaliyas kadosh kamay Hashem baruchu kamayachal. Every human being can be as holy as Hashem. Yachal kamayni, you could be like me. Why? Ki kadosh ani, because I'm holy. Ki haneshama hu chelik elikami mal, because the soul is a fragment of God. V'yachaliyas hachelik kekulei, and the part is just like the whole. The part is a part of the whole. When you say chelik elikami mal, it's not like God, you know, you split up a cake into 20 pieces and you give every one of your children a piece of the birthday cake, every one of the children and the grandchildren. When you say chelik elikami mal, obviously you're not dealing with something physical or even spiritual that is divisible into pieces. So what do we, what do we mean when we say a part? You say a part. A part really means that even as the soul seems separate and it enters into the body, it's still kemoy hakoil. It's a chelik. It's a part of the whole. So the chelik is kekuloi. How can we say this? How can we say such things? Talmud loimar, that's why the Pasuk says, ki kadosh oni Hashem Because I am Holy. Kdushasi Lamaila. Hainu Mashek Dushasi Nisala Lamaila. Hurak Mikdushaschem. Shekevayachel Yisrael Bemaseyem Atoivim Noistim Koyach Kdusha Bepamalia Shalmaila. My holiness is elevated. Kdushasi Lamaila. He adds that interpretation. My holiness is elevated only from your holiness. The Jewish people, through their deeds, their great deeds, give strength and holiness into the heavenly reality. Because I am holy. 
Hashem Eloikechem. So he says, what does it mean? Kikodesh Ani Hashem. What makes me God is Eloikechem, that I'm your God. What makes me Hashem, Kivayochel is Eloikechem. It's your holiness. It's that I'm your God. It's your holiness that makes Ani Hashem. And therefore, my Kedusha Lamaila comes, Mikdushaschem. And the Degel Machine Ephraim, the grandson of the Balshemtiv, concludes, he says, And the one who is spiritually intelligent will understand this. Because these are very profound and mystical ideas. So, Reb Nochem, and the Degel Machine Ephraim say, We have to read the Medrash not with a question mark, but with an exclamation point. Not, can you be as holy as me? <laughs> no, Yachel Kamaini, you can be as holy as me. So, now we look at this Pasuk, and we have a perspective. And the perspective is, Kedoshim Ti, you should be holy. Why? Ki Kadosh Ani, because I am holy. What's the answer? Because I am holy, you are holy. But of course, now we understand that when the Torah says, be holy because I am holy, it's actually giving us perspective on the definition of you. When I say, you be holy because I am holy, it doesn't seem to make sense. Because I am this, that's why you should be this. You and I are not the same. But what if you and I are really one? You should be holy because I am holy, and you are I and I are one. What is the definition of you? When we say Kedoshim to you, who is you? You are a part of me. Your soul is a fragment of the divine. So the part is just like the whole. You are as holy as me. Because you and I are really one. If I am holy, it means you are holy. Which is why the Moira Enayim says that Kedoshim to you is much more than a commandment. It's a prediction. In Hebrew, when you say Kedoshim to you, you could translate it in two ways. You should be holy you will be holy. Tia, right, is a commandment. It's also a prediction. It will be. Like Yia or Tia. So Kedoshim Tiyu is, you will be holy. Not only you shall be holy. Why is it a prediction? And the reason it's a prediction is, because holiness is who you are. You and I, God says, are one. You're a chelik elikami mal. You are divine. You are sacred. You are holy. You are a piece of godliness. You're a spark of the divine in this world. So if that's the case, Rabbi Nachum Chernobyl says, it's not just a commandment. It's much more than a commandment. It's actually, like every real commandment, it's describing the true nature of reality. When the Torah gives somebody a mitzvah, it's much more than a commandment, do this. It's describing what you will ultimately reach. This is a form of alignment with your ultimate self. So when I tell you, you should be holy, I mean that not only you should be holy, but you will be holy. And the reason you will be holy is because holiness is your most real, natural, and innate state. It's your core. It's your truth. It's your essence. All other forces are external to your true essence. And your reality is holy, so it will prevail. Reality prevails because it's real. That's the nature of reality. Reality always prevails. 
That's reality. <laughs> reality means it's reality. If it's reality, it prevails. The cover-ups on reality do not prevail. They ultimately dissipate because they're not real. They're cover-ups. So all that is real is going to emerge sooner or later. We always hope that it emerges sooner. But realness emerges because it's real. Sheker ein leiraglayim. Falsehoods don't have real legs to stand on. So you could run from yourself for a while. But at the end, you will certainly be holy. Because it's who you are. That is who you are. La yidach It's a famous poem of Reb Shloyme, Ibn Gabiril, one of the great Spanish philosophers and Jewish poets, author of Makar Chaim, and he has an expression in one of his poems, I run from you to you. I run from you to you. Because essentially, even as I'm running from you, it's just another way of running to you. At this stage of life, my only way of running to you is by running from you. In that one sense, was one sentence he contained a lot, a lot of therapy work. I'm running from you, but really, I'm just trying to run to you. And in the present moment, this is the only language of attachment. The language of attachment is sometimes enclosed in the language of detachment. And detachment is always commensurate with the depth of attachment. So the Moirei is telling us, Kedoshim you why? Kikadoshani. You and I are one. I'm holy. And you and me are, are completely one. As he puts it, Yisrael v'kutshebrichu kulachad. The Jew is divine. If that is who you are, that is the true chemistry of your reality. So my holiness is your holiness, and your holiness is my holiness. But, the Medrash now takes it a step deeper. And says, when I'm telling you, Kedoshim to you, what I mean is, Yachal Kamoini, you can actually be like me. This is not just a nice euphemism, be holy, be a nice person, be a holy person, don't overindulge. On a literal interpretation. But this deeper interpretation is, Yachal Kamoini. Or as Rabbi Nachum says, you can create worlds like me. Why? How can you say such a thing? Talmud Loimar Ki Kadosh Ani. That's why it says, because I am holy, and you and me are one. But Kedushasi Lamayla Mikdushaschem. It's not just I am holy. My holiness actually comes from you. So if my holiness comes from you, of course, you can be as holy as me. Really, I should say, I can be as holy as you. I am as holy as you. Because my holiness is generated, it's triggered, it's inspired by your holiness. So the unity of the human being and God, are, it's so powerful that the unity is unimaginable. How profound it is, how deep it is, that my life, your life, and every moment of it, have extraordinary significance. That what I do or I don't do has an essential impact, not only on myself and my family and my community and my environment, but on the entire Jewish people, on the entire planet, on the entire universe, on all of history, and even, as we see, Kivayachal on Hashem Himself. Kedushasi, my whole Kedusha, my whole holiness, my whole revelation, Lamaila, above, Mikdushaschem, it's born from your holiness, from your Kedusha. That's how deeply connected 
That's how deeply unified is the Yisrael Vakutsha Brichakulacha. Or as the Dagel Machin Ephraim says, Kedushasi Lamaila. My Kedusha goes up deeper and deeper. It's elevated. It's inspired. Mikdushaschem. What makes me Ani Hashem is Eloikechem. That you have chosen me as God. That you are holy. That you have a relationship with me. That creates the Ani Hashem. As the Medrash puts it and says, very famous, Sifri, very powerful words. As long as you choose me as your God, I am God. And if not, Kavayochel not. And what that really means is, a very, very powerful idea already in the Medrash, is that the human soul is rooted in the deepest, deepest core of Hashem. And that holiness of the human soul, that holiness of human life, therefore creates an explosion of Kedusha, not only in this world, but also in all of the worlds. And the Yisairus, the consciousness, the mindset of the human being impacts the entire, so to speak, the entire divine structure. Ki Kadosh Ani Hashem is Eloikeichem. I'm holy because I'm your God. My Kedusha comes from your Kedusha. So of course, Yachel Kamoini, you could be as holy, you could be as holy as I am. Yet, if we are to think about this, these words seem extremely flowery, extremely fluffy, extremely transcendental, uh, positive, inspiring. But what does this mean? You and I can be as holy as God? Like, what does it really mean in practical life? Is this a joke? Is it serious? Is it a dream? Is it a delusion? I can't speak for you, but I could speak for myself. I know myself, at least somewhat. <laughs> you know yourself, at least somewhat. Is it really sensible to tell someone, be holy, for God is holy, and you and God are one? And not only you and God are one, <laughs> But the Ani Hashem and the Kedusha of Hashem is coming from your holiness. I mean, we don't experience ourselves this way, in, I would say, in the furthest stretch of our imagination. So here we come to the next layer of interpretation by a grandson, actually, of Reb Nachum of Chernobyl, a man known as Reb Yisrael of Rizhen who's known as the Heleke Rizhener. His name was Rabbi Yisrael Friedman of Rizhen. Rizhen is a city also in the Ukraine. So we traveled from Chernobyl to Sedlikov to Mezhebush and now to Rizhen, all in the Ukraine. The Rizhener was born in 1796 and passed away in 1850. And he's known as the Holy One of Rizhen or Rizhen, the Heleke Rizhener, because that's the city where he came from. He was also a great-grandson, just for the for history purpose, a great-grandson of the Magad of Mizrich, the grandson of his son, Rabbi Avram HaMalach. And uh, his maternal grandfather was the Moira Naim Reb Nachum of Chernobyl. And he gives a remarkable practical insight in all of this. He saw in this Medrash not only an injunction or a prediction or a statement or a spiritual observation, but also an exercise, a suggestive, a, suggest, a, suggest, a suggestive path 
thank you, to achieve it. And here we come back again to the words of the Medrash. I, I know I keep quoting this text, so on the yeshiva.net where we post the classes, we'll put up a source sheet with this Medrash, so if you want to review it, you'll have the exact text. So if you'll go tonight or tomorrow morning to the yeshiva.net, you'll have the class with, the, with a source sheet, so it'll just be easier if you want to review it. The literal understanding of the Medrash is, K'doshim tia, you should be holy. Yachal kamoini, do you think you could be holy as me? Talmud Laimer Kaddish Ani, therefore we say, I am holy and my holiness is higher than you. Came the Marinayim and says, no. Yachal kamoini, you could be like me, and that's why it says, Ki Kaddish Ani, I am holy and your holiness is part of my holiness, and only that, my holiness comes from your holiness. But the Ruzhaner, the Bistral of Ruzhan, reads the Medrash as follows. Yachal Kamaini, you wonder, how can you be holy like me? Not, you wonder, can you be holy like me? You wonder, Yachal Kamaini, how? Yachal, this doesn't make sense. How is there a Yechilas? How are you capable of being as holy as me? How? How in the world can I ask you to be as holy as God? What does this mean? How can you tell this to a normal, regular person with all the issues of life? Talmud Loimar Kikadosh Ani. Everyone translates the Medrash, Talmud Loimar. That's why the verse says, Ki Kaddish Ani, I am holy. He says, no. Talmud Loimar is, Tilmoid Loimar Ki Kaddish Ani. Teach yourself to repeat this phrase, Ki Kaddish Ani, I am holy. Talmud Loimar, teach yourself, like Tilmoid, teach yourself, Loimar, to say, to say Ki Kaddish Ani, referring to the person. Teach yourself to say, I am holy. Like a mantra, repeat this phrase, I am holy, in order to remind yourself who you truly are. What is Rabbi Yisrael of Rishon telling us here? One of the greatest obstacles of living a wholesome, holy, sanctified, meaningful, and I would say inspiring and joyous life is your belief, or my belief, that I'm unholy. It's your belief or my belief or any person's belief that you're tainted. I'm going to go through different adjectives and you'll apply the one that may be suitable. That you may be tainted, unworthy, blemished, lazy, sinful, brute, egotistical, impure, narcissistic, self-centered, traumatized, full of jealousy, full of evil appetites and instincts, full of addictions, full of toxicity, and full of negative energy. What makes me often so distant from God is the thought that I am so distant. What makes me so miserable in life is the thought that I am miserable. What makes me so distant from the people I want to be so close is the thought, the endless chatter of the mind. And you know, the mind never starts, not, never stops chattering for a moment. The greatest yachne yente dvasha in the world is the mind. Never stops, 24 hours a day. You're in bed, you're on the couch, you're cooking, you're cleaning, you're walking, you're jogging, you're talking, you're not talking, you're daydreaming, you're not daydreaming. The mind doesn't stop, always talking, 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 talking. And a lot of that chatter is very interesting when you're an outsider. <laughs> when you're an insider, it's much more than interesting. It often becomes a trap. Because for some reason, 
we embrace the chatter of the mind as sacred messages of information. Where really it's just a chatter of the mind. And part of this chatter is, I'm miserable, I'm distant, I'm incapable. This is a miserable marriage, this is a miserable family, this is a miserable home, this is a miserable life. It's always been that way. Yes, of course, you always had bad muzzles. Some reason God hates me. I don't know why already with my mother and my father, my brother, my sister, my school, and the mind. Yeah, and what happened yesterday and what happened last week? Baruch Hashem. And an hour later, you already built up a whole story about who you are and who you're supposed to be and who you're going to be forever. Comes Rabbi Saul of Rizhin and says, our holy sages are teaching us one thing, a simple exercise, three words. Talmud Loimar, teach yourself to say, Ki ani, I am holy. Tell yourself the truth about yourself. You're holy. You're awesome. You're as holy as God. Not because you're delusional, but because God himself declared that you're part of him. Is God corrupt, brute, profane, narcissistic? How could you use these words about yourself? Mainly you want to insult yourself, fine. But how can you insult the Rebbeinu Shalaylam? He says that you're a chelik eleikami mal. You're a piece of him. Where is this chutzpah? Mainly you want to put down yourself, put down yourself. But how could you put down God so much? When you put down yourself, you're not putting down yourself. You're putting down who you really are. You're a chelik alekamimal. So instead of saying, I'm a lost case, you should say it differently. God is a lost case. God is the ultimate loser. God is the ultimate misery. Oh, it doesn't sound normal, but that's really what you're saying. That's really what I'm saying. Because there are two types of guilt in life. One guilt is productive. And one guilt is directly the Yetzirah. The problem with guilt is that the guilt of the Yetzirah often presents itself as being holy. And because it presents itself as being holy, it's becoming dangerous. There's a guilt that's productive. I did something wrong. I said a comment that was hurtful to somebody. I feel guilty. What should that guilt look like if it's productive? The deed was a wrong deed. Let me learn from it. Let me apologize. Let me ask myself, what caused me to say this? Probably a lot of anger. What is under that anger? Probably a lot, a lot of pain. Anger usually is a secondary emotion. It covers up for pain. If that's the case, and I could be aware of it, so then tomorrow... Tomorrow, when my child or my spouse or anybody at the office makes that same statement, instead of dashing out and bursting out with these venomous or harsh words, I can tune into what I'm feeling, what I'm feeling, and then I can choose what is the proper thing to do at this moment. That guilt is wonderful. We call it awareness. We call it tshuva. We call it growth. But then there's another type of guilt. And this guilt has a famous website that's been created a few thousand years ago, www.jewishguilt.com. Yeah? There's other versions of the websites, mothersguilt.com, Jewish mothers, Yiddish Shamama, whatever your version of the website is, even if you don't have internet in this house, I assume that this website you may have in this house. And that is guilt, I'm such a bad person. I'm such a sick person. I'm the worst mother who ever lived, or one of the worst. 
In Muncie, one of the worst. I'm the, such a bad father, such a bad husband. I just can't get it together. I'm so traumatized. I'm just, I'm just a lost case. Look what I did. Look what I did. It sounds like it's coming from you, Yetzirah. You're regretting. No, this is pure Yetzirah. The moment the guilt goes over from actions to the person, you're bad, you're evil. This has nothing to do with Judaism. This has to do with obsession. This has to do with depression. This has to do with toxicity. This has to do with trauma that you got to get rid of. It's a different type of guilt. One guilt is not even guilt. It's called remorse and a focus on rehabilitation for the future. The second is proving that I am worthless. Proving that my life must be one of misery. Says the Rujaner Talmud Loima Kikadosh Ani. Teach yourself to look at yourself and say, This chatter doesn't define me. I am holy. I am divine. Is God confident? What do you think? God suffers from insecurity? You're also confident. God is wholesome? You're wholesome. God is happy? We say every morning in Haidu. There is confidence and joy in His space. How do you know you're in the divine space? If you're in a place of confidence and a place of joy. Did you make mistakes? Of course you made mistakes. Did I make mistakes? Yeah. I make mistakes every day. <laughs> first mistake is when I press snooze on my alarm. The first mistake. Second mistake is when I wake up and I look at the phone. Mistake number two. Do I make mistakes? Yeah. Today I made the first. I didn't make the second. Did you make big mistakes? Yes. Yeah, some of us have made big mistakes. I mean, probably, again, I can't talk about yourself, but you can ask your mother-in-law, she'll enlighten you. You can ask your kids, oh, they'll really enlighten you. They don't have to tell it to you. They'll act it out. Don't worry. They'll act it out. You don't have to speak to them. Just watch them. Have you hurt yourself? Perhaps. Have you hurt others? Perhaps. Consciously? Unconsciously? Willingly? Unwillingly? We're humans. We make decisions that sometimes impact ourselves and people who are affected by us. Not in a positive way. Have I always been good and done the right thing? Maybe not. But you know why we make most of these, most of these mistakes? You know why most people make most of these mistakes? It's not because you're not as holy as God. It's because you don't realize that you are as holy as God. It's not because you're a bad person. It's because you think you're a bad person. When a person doesn't realize how good they are, how capable they are, how powerful they are, how much control we have in our life, that victimhood is an option. Not all pain is an option, but victimhood is an option. What I tell myself about the pain is an option. There was once a famous comedian and he said, why don't Jews drink as much as wasps? He says, because they don't want anything to interfere with their suffering. Well, he was wrong on two counts. First of all, Jews drink. <laughs> I wish I could say no Jews drink. Plenty of Jews drink. They even have something stupid called a Kiddush club. 
So they even have already brought it into shul and davening and so forth, especially if the rabbi's sermons are long and boring. Yeah, send them my regards. And second of all, and second of all, we're not a nation that believes. Yeah, but I'm talking to what not that not, not talking to that crowd. <laughs> yes, there are the mistakes that come from arrogance. I think that I'm perfect, but let me tell you a secret. Where do you think that arrogance comes from? You know people who have to be arrogant? Arrogance comes from the greatest insecurity. Real arrogance comes from real insecurity. Really secure people are not arrogant. Even narcissism, which is horrible. And if you're living with a narcissist, you know what I'm talking about. And the cure for narcissism is being aware that you have narcissism in you so that you could make choices. But even narcissism, I would argue, I mean, I can't say this as a fact, but a lot of it is often coming because the person felt they don't have a place to exist. Their very self is in danger. So therefore they can't afford to ever give. They have to take and take and take because the whole world is a dangerous place. And if I let down my guards for one moment, I'm going to die. So I can only see myself in every situation. They say, how do you drown a narcissist? You put mirrors on the bottom of the ocean. Why does this person have to be drawn to the mirror? Because there's nothing there. When I have no place anywhere, I have to be everywhere. You understand what I'm saying? When I have no place anywhere, I have to be everywhere. Huh? Sometimes hurt people, if they're unaware, they can hurt other people. Sometimes hurt people become the most sensitive people. Some of the most empathetic people in the world are people who have been hurt. Some of the greatest queens and royal souls in the world are people who have been terribly abused. But with one condition, they can identify it and then choose. So they define the hurt, the hurt doesn't define them. When somebody has been hurt and they don't identify it, they become victims of it. When you can identify the hurt, then you become one of the most empathetic souls in the world. There are people who have been through very painful situations. And what they have made of themselves is they have become ambassadors of light to scores of souls because they know exactly what those people are struggling with. In fact, in Chumash you will see 36 times at least the Torah warns the Jewish people, says, You should love the convert, the foreigner, the alien, the one who comes from a different culture or civilization, and then gives a reason. Because you were fugitives, you were refugees, you were foreigners in Egypt. What type of reason is that? When I have been a slave and I have been emancipated, it can go in two ways. Either I can cause to others what has been done to me, I can afflict others with the pain that has been afflicted upon me, or it's the other way around. He says, you have been converts, not converts, you have been foreigners in Egypt. You know the pain of being a stranger. Because you know the pain of being a stranger, I want you to love the stranger. I want you to use your pain as a catalyst for awareness. I want you to use your pain as a springboard that will catapult you to more empathy. But that's a choice a person a person has to make, how I'm going to deal with it. Some people, including some people sitting in this room, know exactly what I'm talking about. You have taken your trauma, and instead of becoming traumatized individuals who now view the world from a place of trauma, you have rather identified it, and you can choose every moment to live a life of freedom, 
Yitzias Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt, and then when you see a person with trauma, you could become an agent of liberation for them in a way that another person who doesn't understand trauma cannot. Yes, so there are mistakes that come from arrogance. There are mistakes that come from insecurity. Uh, Sometimes I feel I'm perfect, but very often, especially in this generation, there's a very common trend in people's deep psyche. And that is, we tell ourselves stories about who we are. We box ourselves in to certain modes. We tell ourselves, if your husband tells you something, and it's always triggering in you the same negative emotion, it proves to you that this is who you are, and this is how your relationship must be. Says the Ruzhanen, no. Interrupt the chatter. Talmud Loimar. Teach yourself to speak a different language about yourself. This doesn't mean that the mind will stop its chatter. This doesn't mean that you will not have any more thoughts that will continue to try to delegitimize you. They will continue. But it's exactly like a backseat driver. You ever drive and there's somebody in the back or in the front who always tells you to take different turns. Make a right, make a left. Take the light, take the, it's red. Take the light. In this country, there's a law that you take red lights. I know from experience. Take the, it's yellow. Take yellow. But there's a truck coming. Take it. Go right, left. But Waze says go right. What does Waze know? What does this woman in Waze know? What what do they know? Now, this person is a chronic boxy driver. You you know what I'm talking about, right? You have three choices. Choice number one, throw him out of the car. Open the door, throw him out of the car, let him stay on the highway. That's choice number one. Okay? As you know, it's not always practical. (laughs) Choice number two, give him the steering wheel. You're such an expert. Take over the car. Bad choice. You know why? You're going to end up in California or in the Pacific. Bad choice. Choice number three, smile. Thank you. The steering wheel stays in my hand. Thank God I have the steering wheel. And I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. That backseat driver is not outside of you. It's inside of you. That's what life looks like. Make a right. Make. You're going wrong. You always drive wrong. You don't know how to drive. Your sister told you 30 years ago that you drive like a and you know, She feels like she's going to die. She always says vidui when you're in the car. It's chatter, chatter, boom, boom. You hold on to the driving wheel, to the, to the steering wheel. What does this mean in life? Talmud loyma ki kadosh ani. Teach yourself to say, I'm holy. I'm divine. I'm not incapable. I'm free. I'm not miserable. I'm not self-centered. I'm not a lost case. I'm not a depressed idiot. I'm not a moron. I'm not clueless. I'm a chelikelikam imal. I'm a piece of God. I want to insult myself. Great. Who gave you the right to insult God? God says you're a piece of him. And you say, no. With me, you made a mistake. Sorry. (laughs) Where do you get that from? That's contrary to reality. There is a certain formulation you have about yourself. It's just a formulation. Let the backseat driver say you're driving wrong. You hold on to the steering wheel and that's where you make your turns from. Make your choices and decisions from that place, from a place of clarity, 
from a place of sobriety, most importantly, from a place of divine empowerment. Divine empowerment never has to do with arrogance. It's actually very humbling. It means you are a humble ambassador of God in this world. It means that my decisions and my choices to be holy have an impact beyond what I can imagine, not only in this world, but it reverberates to the highest place. Chernobyl says you can create worlds like I create worlds. You actually create worlds. The power of your thoughts, of your actions, of your words, of your attitudes, of your choices. So, says the Ruzhener, Kedoshim to you, you should be holy. Yochel Kamoini, how could you be like me? Sounds ridiculous, because I'm holy, you should be holy. What are you like me? Says Talmud Laimar, Tilmoid Laimar, teach yourself this exercise. Take a deep breath, that's what I'm adding. And when you're struggling with those different emotions, say, Ki Kadosh Ani, I am holy, I am divine. That allows us to counteract the voice inside of us, which denies us the power of the infinite light of God which resides within each of us. So that means that at every moment I have the power to say no to my urges, my temptations, images, electronic devices, addictions, habits, anger. Not by denying that I don't have this voice in me. I have this voice in me. But kikadosh oni. I have a potency that I didn't imagine earlier. But here is the trick. The voice is telling me that's not true. That's not true. That's just a stupid idea that somebody put into you to give you hope. You know that you're a loser. And you have to continue to smile to the backseat driver. And I say, I understand how much trauma you went through. And that's your only way of relating to life. But I'm going to choose to discover the underlying I. So I have the potency at every moment to apologize to somebody who I have to apologize to. To apologize to somebody I might have hurt. The reason we fail to apologize is why? It's all the same thing. I'm afraid that if I apologize, I say I'm sorry, I'm going to melt. Because I don't have a real core. When you have a real core, you're good. You could say I'm sorry. You can apologize. I don't have to create a masquerade itself. I don't have to camouflage my insecurities through this bubble, through this ego, which is just trying to protect my vulnerability because I'm afraid that if I disclose my vulnerability, what will be left? Garnish, nothing. So I can't be vulnerable in life. I always have to wear a bulletproof vest and not allow anybody into my life because if you see the real me, you're going to see darkness and evil. So everything is a cover-up. But when you know who you really are, then you could be vulnerable. You could be real. You could be honest. I find it characteristic that the Ruzhin, the Bistral of Ruzhin, said this because he used to live in what's known as a very Malchusdik lifestyle. He ran a very royal, royal household to the point that he conducted his whole court with regal splendor. And Tsar Nicholas I of Russia Tsar Nicholas I was said to be jealous of the Ruzhiner Rebbe, especially when he was told by some that he is really looking to assume the ultimate throne of Tsarist Russia. He was envious of his influence. He heard a lot of bad stuff about him. And he had the Heleke Ruzhiner imprisoned 
for close to two years based on an unsubstantiated murder charge. And uh, the Ruzhina sat in prison for close to years, and after his release, he fled. He fled, actually, to Austria, and that's when he established his court in a place called Sadegera, near the Carpathian Mountains, and attracted thousands of Hasidim, and built a very well-known Hasidic dynasty that continues till today. But he believed that a Jew was a king, and must live like a king, emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. He believed a person is a king, a prince, a king. The Gemara has an expression, call Yisrael b'nei melachim All the Jews are princesses, children of kings. And in Zayar it says, call Yisrael melachim Alpin nigla, on one level, a Jew is a son of a melech. And in Zayar, in Pnimius Atayra, a Jew is the melech himself. Eved melech melech, the Gemara says in Shavuos. The servant of the king, a real servant, is actually, actually a king. I was once in Melbourne, Australia. I visited there for, uh, I was lecturing there quite a few years ago. And when I came from the airport, I went in to one of the prominent and senior rabbis and leaders of the community in Melbourne. He already passed away. His name was Rabbi Yitzchak David Groner. And uh, he built literally dozens of institutions, schools, educational institutions uh, in, uh, in Melbourne and sustained them over many, many decades. He told me when I visited him, we spoke for a few hours, he told me that he struggled and struggles with difficult emotions. And he told me that once he visited New York. He came from Australia to America and he visited New York. And he had an audience with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And before he departed from the office of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he told me, Rabbi Groner told me, he said, the Rebbe said to me, and I'll quote, at the first Zurich in Australia, sollst du hereinwerfen, sollst du hereinwerfen dein Mutter in the Pacific. As you travel back from New York to Melbourne, you're going to travel over the Pacific Ocean, big ocean. It says, take your depression, take your Mutter and throw it into the Pacific. Cast it away into the Pacific Ocean. And, uh, I heard it, and it left a very powerful impact on me. Because at the surface, it seemed like just, you know, a cute, charming thing to say. Were you supposed to open the window of the airplane and throw your depression into the Pacific? Is, is, is depression a bag that you throw in? And can you really open the door of the airplane? <laughs> then you got a lot more serious problems than just a bad mood if the door of the airplane opens. But I think there's a very profound message in life. Our insecurities are not who we are. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are not who we are. They're who we say we are, but those are just words about who we are. Our fears, our negative thoughts about ourselves, our predictions about our future, our definitions about who we are and what type of relationships we have don't constitute the truth of our core being. They're like literally an extra suitcase stuck in your brain. And those of you who travel know the worst thing is to take extra luggage. You come on the plane, you got to travel lightly. But when you take extra luggage, it's impossible. What about if you have in your brain this huge suitcase and you carry it around everywhere? You basically have to learn to take the suitcase and throw it out the window.
and focus on choosing the life based on who you really are. So you might think, but I am an exception. But the Pacific Ocean is large enough, even for your levels of depression and insecurity. And he was actually a big guy on many levels. And it was a transformative, a transformative moment for him. This is the exercise the Rujanah says, the Medrash teaches us. Yachal Kamaini, Talmud Loimar. Teach yourself in life to be able to stop and say, Ki Adi. I don't have to be confined by the box, by the mold that years of experience and behavior have put me into. I can actually reinvent myself at this moment, even if the chatter is denying it, by bringing in a new voice. And the new voice should even be said verbally, not just in thoughts. Tell yourself, I am holy. I am aligned with God. I am a chelik eleikami mal. That means I have all the confidence, happiness, optimism, stamina, vigor, wholesomeness. The flaws, the cracks, the holes, the trauma are all there. They're part of my story. But they never obliterate the core truth of who I am. And therefore instead of framing this conversation from a place of exile and subjugation, I'm going to reframe it. What happens if I could see myself in a different light and then I could see you in a different light? Instead of saying and concluding that when you say this to me, it means that you hate me or you despise me, which is only because I think that I deserve to be hated. What if I could say, What if I can really experience that I'm completely one with the divine right now? And that's how I can experience you, and that's how you could see me, and that's how I could see you. What would be my response? And then respond from that place. So often, your spouse tells you something, your child tells you something, your mother tells you something, a friend tells you something. You're interpreting their words based on self-interpretation. And then you're already getting angry at them and upset at them. Because what they triggered in you. But those are triggers that came from a certain perception of self, which created a perception of the other, which may be going on for 39 years. That's true. But God is eternity. So what's 39 years relative to eternity? So say right now, the cycle is going to stop. I am holy. I am divine. That's that place I'm going to react from that place of inner wholesomeness. I'm going to stop interpreting what you're saying based on my insecurities. Can I stop interpreting other people's words? Stop imposing my mediocrity on you and then getting upset at you. I'm actually going to interpret your words from the freest, most beautiful place in the world. And when I can do that, when you can do that, that's the reality that you create. And the future is transformed. Have a wonderful week. You're asking a good question. Uh, how could they say, what do they mean that that Hashem says my holiness above comes from, from your holiness? So it, it's a very good question and I did not explain it. I did not get into it. But it's just important to understand 
that both the Moirinam and the Degelmach and Ephraim, they're quoting statements of the Chazal. When they say that the Jewish people are Moisef Kayach Bepamalia Shalmaila, right? That the Jewish people, through their life and their behavior, so to speak, increase the strength of the Pamalia of the heavenly reality. That's a quote from a Medrash. It's a Medrash Eicha. The Medrash Rabban Eicha says that when the Jewish people fulfill the will of Hashem, they increase the power of the heavenly, uh, the heavenly reality or the heavenly uh, assembly, the heavenly entourage. Uh, there's a famous Medrash in Yalkut Shemoni where he says the opposite as well. It says, Tzur Yelotcha Teshi in Parshas Hazinu. The rock who gave birth to you has become weak. So one of the interpretations is that that when we don't fulfill the Hashem's will, it so to speak creates a weakness in the divine energy, in the divine strength. That's what the Medrash says and similar in the in, in Sifri and other sources. Uh, there's, I, I quoted earlier from the Sifri, right, which Sifri comes from Rabbi Akiva. We're dealing here with the, the Medrash of Tanoim on Sefer Bamidbar and Varim. And in Sifri, Parshas Vazois Habracha, on the Pasuk Vayihibi Shurun Melech Bisasif Roshayam Yachat Shifti Yisrael. It's an incredible Sifri there. And he, one of the things he says there, that's what I was referring to earlier in the Shir, he quotes a verse from Yeshaya, the prophet Yeshaya. Yeshaya chapter 43 says, Atem Eidai Noum Hashem Vanikel. You are my witnesses, you the Jewish people are my witnesses, and I am God. So the Chazal, the Sifri says, Kesha Atem Eidai Anikel. Kesha Ein Atem Eidai Ein Anikel. For me to be God, you have to be my witnesses. When you are my witnesses, I'm Kale. I am Hashem. And when you're not my witnesses, Kivayachel, Ein. And the Sifri there brings similar sources, similar psukim. There's a famous expression in Zohar, in Parshas Vayikra. The Zohar says, the beginning of Parshas Vayikra, I think it's Dav Zion, in Zohar, page 7 of Vayikra, it says, Yisrael mefarnesim la'avim shabashamayim. That the Jewish people give parnosa, they, they sustain, they give vitality to their Father in Heaven. That's the expression of the Zohar. Like they give livelihood, parnosa, to their Father in Heaven. And that's how the Medrash explains. It says in Shir HaShirim, Open up the door for me, my sister, my, my wife, Rayasi. One of the interpretations is my shepherd, the one who just like the shepherd sustains and gives life to the flock, to the sheep, to the goat. So that's how he compares the Jewish people. So these, these are very powerful and, and very uh, incredible ideas that, of the Chazal. So what the Moirinam, the Megamach and Ephraim are quoting here, that the Kedushasi Lamailam Mikdushaschem, it comes from your Kedusha. This is rooted in all of these Midrashim. There's, of course, the famous Gemara, Masechta Bab Metziah. You know the Gemara, it's a famous Gemara, Bab Metziah Dafnon Tess, where uh, there was a debate between the sages about a certain oven, Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Yeshua, and uh, there was a heavenly voice, and the sages rejected the heavenly voice. And Elio and Avi said that what Hashem did at that moment was he was laughing, he was quelling, and he said, Nitzchuni bonai nitzchuni. 
My children have triumphed over me. They have been victorious over me. Now, we have to understand what this means. My children have been victorious over me. They have triumphed over me. There's a Gemari Masech to Shabbos, known as the Sugi of Matan Torah, Shabbos Daf Peites. God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, You should have helped me. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, the famous Pasuk in Shlach, Let the power, let the strength of Hashem now become great or greater. And the Marsha, the Marsha over there, Meseches Shabbos, Peites, brings this idea and he says that the tzaddikim moisifin koyach ugvura the pamalia shalmaila, the same the same text of the Chazal that the tzaddikim through their words uh, create a new energy and a new strength in the heavenly entourage. This is the famous expression in the Gemara, right? Yishmol bni barcheni, right? Yishmol, my son, give me a bracha, bless me. Now the question is, what does what does all of this mean? Like, how are we supposed to understand this? And there's different contradictions. Like, don't we say sometimes that you know we can't affect God? So there's a, there's, there's a lot about this. Uh, there's a sefer called Avodas Hakodesh and the Shalah, and they have long sections about this, about the question of you know our relationship to God. Can we affect God? Does God need us? Can you even say that? Is it is it against faith? On the contrary. This is a very big discussion in, 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 in Kabbalah, in Machshava, in Svarim of Ashkaf, in Svarim of Chassidus. So it's really, it's really a, an independent topic. I really did not get into it. But, uh, but I'm just, my point is, what they say is rooted in, in many Maimari Chazal, that uh, our Kedusha, our consciousness, our life, uh, doesn't only affect us. It's it's rooted in the deepest place. It's rooted in the deepest, the deepest place of Hashem, right? Hashem could say, "Nitzchuni bonai nitzchuni." My ch- my children have triumphed over me. But listen, this this requires a shear or many shearim. Uh, but it's 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 a good comment. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at triple w dot the yeshiva dot net slash donate.